This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us, a massive show coming up and all the news we've got to talk about is in the show. We'll speak the Australian Grand Prix and MotoGP with the CEO of the Australian Grand Prix Corporation, Andrew Westacott. He'll join me very shortly. Dale Rogers to preview this weekend's F1s in the state and also Richard Crail and Mark Walker to join myself and we'll speak to James Moffat about uh, what's happening in the world of supercars. All that to come in just a tick. But first of all, let's head straight to Dale Rogers first for his update on the Formula One round this weekend in the United States of America. Dale. Thanks, Tony. It's been two long years since Formula One raced at the Circuit of America's track in Texas. But fine, this weekend the track will be buzz again with the sound of F1 engines for the United States Grand Prix. So let's take a bit of a look ahead. First up... We talk NASCAR, yeah, NASCAR. Our own Daniel Ricciardo will climb aboard Zach Brown's Dale Earnhardt Chevy Monte Carlo uh, for some demonstration laps on the weekend. Brown offered Ricciardo a drive in Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s 1984 Chevy Monte Carlo on the condition that the ex-Renault driver scored a podium for McLaren this season. Of course, not only did Dan grab a podium, he won the Italian Grand Prix. A story on Brown's amazing collection of racing cars, including one of the Holden Commodore's supercars from the uh, HRT days, will be something we'll try and dig into a bit in the future. But for now, Cota, a ripper track at an even better city in Austin, Texas. Many of the supercar pit lane members, media and officials have great memories of her visit there. What can we look forward to this weekend? Few would argue, Tony, that Mercedes have made gains on the Red Bull Honda, and this is a track which may confirm this 100%. A happy hunting ground for both Mercedes drivers in the past, they should go in as firm favourites. With penalties taken for Ferrari and McLaren in Turkey, expect to see the battle back on in earnest for third place in the Constructors' Championship. Only 7.5 points separate the two teams at this stage of the season. The Turkish Grand Prix showed how crucial Bottas and Perez would be to their team's aspirations, and this will continue in Texas. They both have to play a role to assist their team leader in making a break in the point standing, which sees Hamilton only six points clear of Max Verstappen. Of the rest, Alpha Tauri's Pierre Gasly has been giving Red Bull Junior team some great results recently and added some needle this week by suggesting he should have been in the frame for the 2022 Red Bull seat. I'm sure Dr Marco has been on the phone already to young Pierre. Watch for Aston Martin and Alpine to be making some inroads into the top 10, and if Haas can give the local fans any type of result. It's going to be hot and humid in Austin this weekend, Tony, with a 40% chance of rain on Sunday. Let's hope that wet weather continues to chase Formula 1 around the world. Finally, we're all waiting to see what wardrobe malfunction Lewis Hamilton will have this weekend, and if he is planning to match it with a 10-gallon Pirelli cowboy hat, should he win. Back to you, Tony. Thanks, Dale. Appreciate that. Let's get straight into the show. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. Well, the great news coming out this week was that the Australian Grand Prix will finally be on the calendar. And uh, it's a calendar that has 23 events at the moment. Australia situated in position number three after 10 years of being the opening Grand Prix. Andrew Westacott, the CEO of the Australian Grand Prix Corporation, joins us to talk all about that. G'day, Andrew. G'day, Shebek. So, yeah, 23, 23 races in the, on a 2022 calendar and uh, three years between drinks for us and um, 41 races, if you can believe it, they would have gone to in the 2020 season, 2021, and the first two races of 2022. So they know how to deliver in COVID environments and um, we can't wait to have them back on our shores. Now, that's definitely been proven, hasn't it, that been one of the more successful sports to do such uh, in the way that they've been able to take such a, a large gathering of people right around the world and effectively be COVID free. They've had a couple of cases pop up here and there, but that's to be expected. Yeah, it is to be expected. And also the important thing, because it reassures governments who are doing work with them that, uh, you know, they've got a business continuity model that needs to protect the industry and they've got a zero tolerance approach. So whether it was Valentino Rossi, in MotoGP or Lewis Hamilton and many, many others in, in Formula One, you um, you test positive, your swipe card gets deactivated. And we all know what it's like to yeah. have that magical pass to get into a Formula One paddock. It certainly is. Andrew, 2022, is this the most important Grand Prix 
that Australia has ever held. Uh, the 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 viability of future Grand Prix relies on this, does it? Yeah, I'd probably never never put it ahead of uh, eighty five in Adelaide and ninety six in uh, in Melbourne as being the the first ones and so on. And but we're building up a history of staging them. I mean, it would have been our twenty fifth. So it's, I guess it's uh, our twenty fifth race again. It just coincides with a couple of years later. Um, but it really is, jokes aside, it really is important because Formula One has a massive calendar and it's a business and to get that business, they need broadcast rights, promoter rights, sponsorship and signage and so on. And they need reliability. It's the same with, with any business. You need reliability of your partners. And if your partners, I'm not saying we're letting them down, but if your partners cannot deliver what you expect to have delivered, then, you know, your other partner is in, you know, probably good right to go ahead and, and look at what other alternatives there are. And so we've had a few false starts. We've got a good relationship and a strong relationship with Formula One. They understand that, but I don't want to push that uh, any any further. And therefore, that's why government is fully aware of it. We ourselves are fully aware of it. And uh, April the 10th next year is vitally important to to deliver a cracker. No, it certainly is. We I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we had three years left of our existing contract after next year will be two if i'm right has the contract uh, 20, been... 22 23 24 25 so okay. it works out as four but yeah 25 yep. is the last 25 is the last year of the current contract has the, the has the new contract been renegotiated with next year starting as year one or are we just continuing on from the current contract no the current contract will um will expire at uh, 2025 and um it's our intent and the government's intent to uh to look to the future um never more so has the visitor economy and the impact of uh, of tourism and major events and sports and arts and culture? If you don't get people coming to see Harry Potter or the Australian Open or food and wine festivals and comedy and and Formula One or MotoGP and the list goes on, you're not ticking over hotel accommodation and visitation to lots of places. And so um, you realise when it's gone how important these things are, and you realise therefore with uh, the fact that Miami's on the calendar for next year as a, as a new race, there's new yeah. races that have come on in, in Europe, we're going to get back there because otherwise where we've really proudly talked about being a major events capital and livable city, we're holding unfortunate monikers um, that are at the opposite end of the spectrum at the moment. We don't like those and they don't bring the uh, tourism dollars in. No, exactly right. Uh, position number three, as we said, for 2022, will that be the go for the future or is there a an expectation that we may go back to position one for 2023. Yeah, it, it's not it's not the go. There's a couple of reasons behind it. You know, it, it allows us a little bit more time. But one other um, uh, situation that had to be worked around, and you can imagine in in 23 races, you're having to align with um, significant national dates, historic dates. Um, you know, Silverstone needs to align with uh, with Wimbledon, British Open, and uh, a lot of other things. The same sort of thing happens in Monaco, where they've got a traditional date yeah. that's set by the palace. Um, we have had that uh, first race for a long period of time, but Ramadan in 2022 and 2023 features such that the staging of the Bahrain and Saudi Arabian um, Grand Prix needs to occur before the commencement of Ramadan. And okay. so, you know, we'll um, we'll have a situation where we're race three. I don't mind that. Um, in a new year um, with new spec cars, hmm. it's in fact not, not a bad sort of situation where the teams are going to, you know, get to be familiar. I'm, I know they're going to do simulators and testing in Bahrain and all the rest of it, but to knock it out in um, round one and round two and be cherry ripe and ready for Albert Park um, doesn't phase me because it's three years between drinks and it'll be wonderful to have the new circuit, the new spec cars, um, Daniel and McLaren, and, and who knows, we might even have two Aussies in the field. It's an interesting calendar, especially at that front end of the calendar, the way it's been designed. Normally, Australia would fall off the back of a couple of Asian rounds or possibly the other way around. Yep. This one goes to Emirate-type races through uh, Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, down to Australia, back to uh, Italy. Imola, yeah. Imola, and then off to Miami and then back to Spain. It's a really interesting start to the season. Yeah, well, the uh, the pundits who know their calendars would normally uh, realise that we've, you know, it'll go us and then Bahrain and then China, or it might go us and then China. And so China is a noticeable um, 
admission from the calendar. Uh, And therefore, if you looked at it in the context of going Melbourne, China, and then Miami, you'd say makes logical sense. Um, You can see, therefore, that if China isn't going to be a uh, representative on the calendar, that you've got to go somewhere else, and that somewhere else is is Imola. Um, It's interesting, and, uh, you know, that's one of the vagaries, not a vagary, it's one of the challenges of doing this calendar and Formula One um, do a great job of obviously having to accommodate the desires of promoters, but also make sure there's three, there's two triple headers, as you know, for next season, and they're going to some new countries as well. Uh, amazing restrictions are being placed around events at the moment in regards to who can and who cannot go. And also it's really puts a lot of pressure on organisers in regards to the fact that so much more needs to be checked as what was done in the past. Have you already had the chat with government in regards to how the 2022 Grand Prix looks for not necessarily the the teams and the drivers and the staff, because we know how that has played out over the last couple of years, but more so for the Australian spectators? Yeah, the... um... You know, the, the people you speak to most in uh, in situations where you're trying to deliver events or you're actually having to cancel at the events are the, the commercial rights holder and, and governments, and you speak to them, you know, daily and, and weekly. And so every bit of dialogue we're having around the, the setting of the date was involving Formula One, and the same for MotoGP in setting a, a great date for the 16th of October next year down at Phillip Island. And all the things we're saying here for Formula One apply to yeah. MotoGP. In fact, I do know that we've got two Aussies in, in MotoGP because we've got Remy Gardner moving up uh, a category as well. But back onto the question, the um, the key thing is that governments will, through the Chief Health Officer and the Department of Health and also the work we do, not only set the COVID safe venue plan parameters and we'll work with them and we're blessed to have an outdoor environment, 10.6 kilometres of uh, of track frontage, the ability to design, but we've got to make sure that you get enough people in temporary facilities to to make them profitable and viable. So a lot of work being done on the COVID safe event plan, as we call it, the bloody acronyms everywhere. That's the CSEP, as it's called. But the other one, which is significant, is the incoming contingent and the need for, you know, travel to designated airport terminals, travel to... um, designated hotels, nothing different in, in any of those in a normal year, travel to the circuit and, and operating in what was going to be a red zone. But all those parameters are going to exist still, Shebex, but they're going to exist in a in a way that's probably got a greater degree of flexibility than it would have if it was March 2021 or, or late 2020, because obviously high vaccination rates and the moves of opening up our economy are becoming, you know, more accepted at a federal level and a state level. Now, we've got to, on the flip side, make sure that Formula One's business continuity is not impacted. So it's not going to be a free-for-all um, because we've got to obviously protect not only the health of the Formula One yeah. people, but also the health uh, of the fans. And so what that means is that there'll be a sensible middle position that's, that's met. Um, we're not at the finality of that yet, but it's going to be sensibly worked through. But the one thing from a crowd point of view is that during COVID, we've sort of become familiar with crowds of 50 and 100, you know, and we're planning for the same sort of things, but we're talking 50,000 and 100,000. And so, um, you know, a big open environment with whether it's vaccination rates, QR codes, separation, um, logic and common sense and learning to live with the the, the, um, pandemic means that we're expecting a big crowd and, Government supports that. We're going to see what happens at the Boxing Day tests and the test match throughout Australia, and we're going to see what happens with travel as well as also at the Australian Open. So there's a few things going our way because we can learn from others, and also we're seeing a willingness to open up at an economic and a tourism level. Yeah, good. I didn't think we'd see Lewis Hamilton spend a week of quarantine at Mickleham. I just wasn't (laughs) sure that would ever happen. Uh, New track layout has been done and completed, apart from the thing that will happen over the next couple of months, and that will be resurfacing of the track. Yeah, three-stage process. First stage was to widen pit lane by two metres. The second stage was to make geometric changes, and the third stage is to put um, the top course. So we'll we'll profile the wearing course uh, off um, and put back a new asphalt mix. And in reverse, the asphalt mix will have a higher level of tyre degradation. It's not going to wear the 
it's not going to wear the rubber off your, your bicycle tyres or your car tyres unless you're going 340 clicks around Lakeside and pulling four and a half Gs on a set of highly tuned Pirelli uh, race tyres. So you're going to have higher degradation. You're going to have more um, corner widening in five corners. We've removed the chicane around Lakeside. We're really significantly changed um, turn 13, which will be the new turn 11. Adjusted the camber on particular turns as well. Um, and the pit lane widening means, um, along with Mr. Massey's, Michael Massey, the race director's blessing, we get to an 80-kilometre speed yeah. limit in pit lane. And then the combination of all those plus the new spec cars, which have left less of a deficiency from an aero point of view, you get the sum of all those parts to hopefully produce um, more exciting racing. And we've had enough input from so many people that we think we've got the best that we can achieve with the circuit and the confines of sports and aquatic centres and uh, and a lake and footy grounds and, and current geometry, if you know what I mean. Have you done a, uh, a computer-generated lap of the new course and is there an expectation of what the race lap record might come down by? Is that I've a couple done, of seconds? I've done... Um, I've done an actual lap in my car and I've done a lap on a push bike, um, but Formula One have done the simulations and they're coming up with about five seconds a lap quicker. Wow. Yeah. And top speeds, as I said, around 340, 340 around Lakeside. There may be a fourth DRS zone, which also adds to the, the, the opportunities. And to give you an example, turn one was widened by two and a half metres. Um, turn three was two and a half or three and a half. Turn six was a massive six metre widening or six metres plus. So you sweep around turn six with about 70 kilometres more speed and it pushes you out to the left and makes for much more exciting racing. So what's going to happen is that you've got these drivers who have been coming here for, you know, Kimmy would have been here 19 years, but is retiring. So, you know, maybe the longest driver might have been Seb and it's probably 10 or 15 years. And, um, they're seeing a circuit that's changed for the first time. And that in itself has got to throw up a little bit of uncertainty and uh, excitement as well. Let's head down to Phillip Island in October. Uh, that MotoGP date is pretty similar to the dates it's either normally that weekend or the weekend yeah. after. So yeah. that's pretty much back to normal. Yeah, it is back to normal. And the things we just have to juggle is we don't want to clash with, um, we don't want to clash with, excuse me, we don't want to clash with um, Bathurst and yep. we have to fit in. You talked about the logistics of the circuit from a Formula One point of view. Typically, as we know, you've got Thailand, Malaysia, Japan and Australia being in that sort of Asian swing of the um, MotoGP calendar. And that's exactly what's happening. We'll, they'll have their last European race in Aragon and then they'll come down under through Asia and Australia. And um, after us, they go back to Malaysia and finish off the season typically in Valencia and that hasn't changed again. So, you know, can't wait to get back to Phillip Island the same way we can't wait to get back to uh, to Albert Park. How much of a relief is it now that all these dates have been announced and everything's sort of been locked in for you and your team to know that finally we're going to get some racing happening? I, I'm sure there was a period there where you thought that AGP office might have been just closed off forever. Well, it was one. That was one of those things that was, um, you know, it was discussed every now and then, not not because we were pursuing closing down, but because sometimes if these sorts of things continue, um, international sport was one of those um, pastimes and businesses that was probably, well, wasn't probably, it was very, very difficult to get up. I lost a lot of hair, Shebex, during uh, the COVID in thinking about those sorts of things, but, you know, I am... You can't tell. No, you can't, can you? <laughs> um, I'm... Um, I'm really, really excited for the for the staff, for the suppliers and for the fans. Um, and a lot of those fans who, you know, at the time felt dudded by what happened in 2020. The I never like seeing the disappointment on fans who have travelled long, long ways, spent a lot of money, um, take an annual leave um, to come down on a what might have been a bucket list trip or their 24th trip to Albert Park or something in a row. And we just want to make sure that when they come back to Albert Park in, in April next year, they're going to have a bloody good time, and they will. The support categories will be there. The entertainment off track will be there. Um, new facilities and new locations to view the racing with the new circuit layout will be there as well. And um, lots and lots of new drivers and exciting drivers. You know, 
fancy seeing George Russell uh, yeah. in a Mercedes. That'll be great. Lando and Daniel will be great. And Oscar Piastri will probably be in the paddock somewhere and fingers crossed he's driving. Uh, the other thing I should mention too is, uh, has, has there been any early indication about supports? Are we looking at supercars being a part of it for 2023? Uh, 2022? Yeah. Look, Sorry. We've got, we got an ongoing contract with supercars. They're the preeminent uh, category in the country. I love them. They provide a great spectacle and we're... Uh, expecting that they're going to headline the the support categories and we're working through the others at the moment with the, our motorsport team. Um, S5000s? Uh, look, S5000s is in the mix along with uh, with Porsche and, uh, and a few others. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's interesting is that the race is going to be an hour earlier um, because, you know, we lose daylight because we're not in daylight saving anymore. Oh, so there's an interesting thing. So typically it was at 410 um, we're working through with Formula One at the moment on the exact timing, um, but it'll have to be earlier because sunsets at six oh eight instead of about seven thirty, seven forty. So there's no surprise there for those people who are astrologically inclined to to look at those sorts of things. And does that also you talk about not wanting to clash with other things? Does that also bring a little bit of a an AFL feel about it as well? Do you need to have a conversation with them about what they're going to do in Melbourne that day? Yeah, we've had those conversations and also the NRL. I mean, it's a great tourism opportunity. Yeah. Um, you know, think uh, think about it if you have, say, um, Melbourne Storm playing on a Friday night, you have an interstate team, well, it clearly has to be an interstate team, um, playing against them. The same can apply to the Rebels. The same can apply to getting interstate AFL teams playing here on the Friday night, maybe Saturday night, and you get uh, a level of visitation to you know, get back to what Melbourne was all about. You know, you go to the footy, you go to a um, a Grand Prix, you go to some restaurants and you go to a pub and have a good time. Oh, geez, it's been a while. It definitely has been a while, but hopefully not too far away. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Really do appreciate it. I'm sure we'll catch up as uh, it gets a little bit closer to the Grand Prix. But, mate, no use talking to me. You need to be out there doing some work, so I'll let you do that. Thanks, Shebex. Good to speak again. Andrew Westercott, the CEO of the Australian Grand Prix Corporation, joining us here on The Grid. All right, let's kick off the program by saying good day to my two co-hosts, as always, Richard Crowell first up from the Race Talk. Hello, Richard. Anthony Shebeki, how are you? Marvellous, thank you. Mark Walker, how are you? Sir Tony, how are you? Marvellous, thank you. Thank you so much for your respect, boys. Uh, been a big week. We'll have a bit more of a chat about that as we go along. But we're uh, joined by a guest straight off the top, gentlemen, uh, due to the fact that he's making his way back from a test day at Winton after being announced just a couple of days ago as uh, one of the co-drivers at Tickford Racing. We knew that would be the case. We just didn't know that he was going to be swapping cars. Let's find out all about it, though. James Moffat joins us on the line for a chat. Hello, Moff. Hello, boys. Nice to be with you. Lovely to have you with us, mate. First of all, how'd test day go? Well, given what we've uh, had to put up with in uh, Melbourne over the last 10 or so weeks, it was just nice to escape the big smoke and get up to beautiful regional Victoria and um, cut some laps in a supercar. So um, it was a Tuesday well spent. How uh, how long has it been since you've been in a supercar, Moff? I know you've had the TCR car this year, but when was your last drive in a V8? Uh, last drive in the supercar, I think from memory, was around about May. Yeah, okay. Uh, the yeah. guys and most of the Victoria teams got a test day in um, up at Winton in May. So, yeah, probably sort of five months now. So, too long, too, too long, Mark. Well, that was Richard. Mark here. <laughs> um, oh, sorry, Richard. That's all right, mate. <laughs> is, um, is testing at Winton still as exciting as I remember it? Like, was the Grand Prix at the end of the day? Was that on, like, Donkey Kong like it always used to be? Of course, mate. It wouldn't be a Winton test day without the uh, <laughs> Winton World Championships at about 4.30 in the afternoon. It's just as a co-driver these days, you, you get to participate in the Winton World Championship by, you know, on the stopwatch on, on the pit wall. So uh, you sit back and watch the big boys, the main series drivers go at it. Um, but... Probably an answer to your question. No, you're not really missing out on anything um, in terms of what happens at test days at Winton. They're um, they're pretty stock standard. So, um, but yes, yeah, in all seriousness, nice to get back in the car and uh, blow off a few cobwebs and 
all, all in preparation for Bathurst, of course. And Moff, how much uh, of it was uh, for your benefit, I suppose, and getting back in the seat again and getting ready for Bathurst? And how much was the team's benefit in regards to it being pretty much a shakedown for them because these cars haven't cut any laps at all for a couple of months? Yeah, I think uh, probably a little bit of both um, in reality because, yeah, obviously with with uh, what the teams have been forced to do in terms of uh, over the last few months, not, not, not having any racing. So um, probably not a normal pre-endurance test day in that respect, um, where the focus is, you know, particularly in the past, has been more on um, the co-driver models um, and, and those sorts of, uh, I guess, pit stop practice and brake, brake pad changes and all those sorts of things that... Um, a sort of procedural things that you have to go through at Bathurst. So um, today was, you know, Kim spent quite a bit of time in the car. You know, I spent an adequate amount of time in the car as well. But, um, yes, probably a little less time in the car for me than if the guys had been, you know, regularly competing um, as per normal, which, um, you know, fortunately for me, I've, I've got experience on my side these days. So... You know, whilst it's nice to turn around and do, you know, as many laps as you can, um, I've been with the team for four years now and you know, I feel like I can jump, still jump back in the cars and feel relatively comfortable pretty quickly. So, um, you know, doing a thousand laps, so to speak, is not necessarily, you know, the number one um, item on the list. So, uh, yeah, we're, you know, I'm certainly happy with how I found the car even after, you know, such a, a long time between driving the car. Uh, two years with Chaz and one with Jack LeBrock last year. How have you and Cam sort of started your relationship working together and all the little nitty-gritty stuff? How does that align? Your seating position, steering wheel, things like that? Yeah, it's actually um, a good question. Um, the last couple of years, or since joining Tickford, the, the first two years driving with Chaz. Chaz, I needed a seat insert. And um, even driving with Jack last year, I needed a little um, little cushion under under my backside to, to lift me up a bit. But with Cam, um, surprisingly enough, we can sort of get away uh, driving in the same position. So we've uh, been able to eliminate sort of having to use a seat insert. So, you know, the driver change is a little bit more um, easier. Um, but yeah, you know, I've sort of known for a while that I've been driving with, with Cam and it's just sort of probably taken us a while to publicly announce it. So, um, it certainly presents a fantastic opportunity, um, for myself to head up to the biggest race of the year in, um, a very competitive, um, car and, and driver combo, hopefully. So, you know, Cam's definitely in form at the moment, the team, um, know what they need to do at that first and I think together um, hopefully we make a strong combination. I suppose that was exactly my question was this would have to be one of your best chances ever to win up there and especially uh, you know Chaz in another car and not going to crash into <laughs> old mate this year. <laughs> you better not be putting a bloody uh, podcast <laughs> 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 but, uh, <laughs> but I um yeah, look, probably outside of uh, a couple of years ago, uh, 2019, getting up there with Chaz. Uh, yeah, certainly feel like this is as good an opportunity as um, as I've had so far in my career, heading heading to the biggest race of the year with, uh, uh, yeah, like I said, a great opportunity. So um, we all know what Bathurst can dish up. And, we just have to do our very best to make sure we can control the things that we can control as best as we can and execute as well as we can on the day. But uh, I think from a speed point of view, um, there's every reason to go there being confident that we um, we should be in the mix. Well, how tough is it now for co-drivers who effectively, up until a couple of years ago, had that opportunity to, to have that run around Sandown and you know get that sort of time in race condition before they headed to Bathurst and then, of course, the Gold Coast after it. Now it's just straight into Bathurst. That's all you do. Pressure's on. Has, a, has 
the pressure meter bumped up a hell of a lot due to that? Yeah, look, it certainly, you know, the pressure is on, but in, in motor racing, mate, the pressure always needs to be on. And when it's not on, you probably need to look at looking, uh, look at doing something else. But, um, you know, certainly last year was a very unique scenario that we probably never thought we'd be faced again with. But, you know, sure enough, in 2021, the way that COVID has rolled on in throughout the country or throughout the, the globe, really, um, we're faced with a sort of similar scenario. But biggest difference, I guess, this year is, you know, fortunately, um, we've had the opportunity to at least do a pre-Bathurst test day, whereas last year, for example, um, in my situation, I drove a supercar at the very first test day of the year at Taylor Bend, which was mid-February. And then the next time I drove a supercar was at um, at the race in in October. Crazy. So, you know, that was a long time between, between drinks. Um, so at least I think, you know, the majority of the co-drivers or all of the co-drivers should have the opportunity to, to get a test day under their belts before heading to the mountain. But, uh, yeah, there's no, no bigger prize in Australian motor racing, so the, the pressure's always on. Moff, Cam has really stepped up everything about his driving and his process over the last two years, and he's now a genuine outright title contender week in, week out. What, what have you seen that's changed or evolved with Cam over the journey, both as someone inside Tickford and, and as someone who's had an opportunity to step back from that full-time role and watch the racing and watch how he goes about his business because it's been very impressive how he's taken over leadership, I suppose, at, at Tickford for starters and, and to drive that team forward to to be that leading force up against the, the Red Bulls and everyone else. Yeah, you're exactly right, Krause. And, you know, I, th- I think a little bit of that, you know, just having the benefit of being inside the team, come to endurance races, and but then also the benefit of also being able to look at it, like you say, from the outside during, you know, the the bulk of the season. Um, you know, for me, I think when Chaz was there, he was a little bit still in, in Chaz's shadow. Um, you know, Chaz was, was still probably the unnominated team leader, if you like. And um, speed-wise, you know, Cam was, was definitely challenging um, Chaz. And I think as soon as Chaz, you know, moved on to... Walking Shore, Andretti United, that was the opportunity for, for Cam to, I guess, assume that team leader role, if you like, which, you know, within teams, that sort of just naturally happens. And, um, you know, I think there's been a couple of races for, for Cam over the last couple of years where, he, you know, whether it was in 2020, I think from memory there was a a battle with Scott at Tail and Bend where, you know, they, they were going hammer and tongs and Cam came out in front. And then there's been a couple of similar battles this year that Cam's had with, with Shane, who is clearly at the top of his game, um, especially in 2021. And Cam's been able to, to come out on top. So, you know, that obviously only helps with, the, with your confidence within yourself, but also the team as well. Um, so, you know, it gives, gives everybody within the team that, they're on the on the right direction, and uh, yeah, hopefully for us, we're um, we're on the right direction. What is it? We're we're still a few weeks away. I wish I could say we're heading up there next week. I, I just want to get up there and, and get stuck into it. Uh, will you be doing double duty on the weekend with the TCR car? I will be. Yes, I'll uh, I'll drive the Renault TCR machine and. Um, then, yeah, obviously, uh, I think by all reports, that, that looks like the TCR stuff will be finished up by Saturday. So, uh, um, hopefully, scheduling-wise, it's pretty sensible. And, you know, there's no back-to-back sessions or anything like that. But if there is, and you know, you just have to work around that. But uh, my focus is... Definitely on the on the 1000 and, and the supercar side of things, and you know the guys at JRM have been really good in understanding that. But you know, I also have a commitment to um, 
to, to race DCR car, which um, I don't see being a problem. And uh, I'm actually really looking forward to going back there for a second time in, in the TCR car. It was uh, a bit of an eye-opener there um, earlier in the year at Easter when we went there for the first time. And it's it's probably more just a, a muscle memory thing, mate, to be honest. For me, like I've spent so many years just driving supercars at the mountain that that's sort of just what you, your brain is tuned into. So there's a bit of adaption when we went went up there at Easter for um, for the TCR event, but um, yeah, I don't see it being a problem come December. Nothing new for you doing double duty anyway. You did that for a few years when you were in the Porsche competition and uh, also driving up there as well. Mate, the TCR competition has been a uh, pretty spectacular one from, from uh, the get-go. It's really had some fantastic closeness about it and uh, has really grabbed everyone's imagination. Rochebecks, you know, because it is a great category and it's certainly got its place in Australian motorsport. It's it's been a little bit, um, I guess, challenging for the TCR or ARG group because you know we they rolled out in 2019 with the championship and um, they were really starting to build some good momentum. The the field sizes were growing and then you know we were on the dummy grid lined up ready to race at the Grand Prix last year in March when everything got turned on its head. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, no racing last year from a TCR front. So, you know, they missed out on, on a whole year of, you know, trying to build the, the category. And then, you know, this year, fortunately, we were able to get, uh, I think it ended up being four rounds away before the, the, the COVID hit again. So, um yeah, I think it's definitely got its place. The cars are exciting. They're a bit more relatable to what you see on the road. Um, and I think the beauty of, of the category is the way that the balance of performance works between each of the manufacturers is you don't really see anybody dominating week in, week out, except if you're a bloke called Chas Mostert. But, um <laughs> take him out of the equation, you know, you, you might have one weekend where, for example, our Renaults might be competitive or, you know, running at the front and then the following weekend it might be the Alfa Romeos or it might be the Hondas or, you know, there's such variety in there that it really has the, the opportunity or the ability to, to capture certainly a different demographic of, um, of fan than, you know, what we're typically used to in Australian racing. Moff, I'd just like to cast your mind back a few years, if you don't mind, while we're sort of talking about Bathurst and everything going on. Uh, and How far back are we going, Walker? Oh, we're, we're, no, it's crazy. We're going back seven years. Crazy. 2014. What what sticks in, because it's all popped up on social media over the last few weeks, oh, this is Bathurst. Your Facebook memories are great for this. Like Bathurst 2015, this happened. 2014, this happened. 2014 remains the most remarkable day of motor racing I think anyone has ever seen at that place. What sticks in your mind most of all from that utterly insane day where somehow you and your mate Taz Douglas dragged that Nissan to second position at the end of that race. What pops out first and foremost of that crazy race? Well, it was a bloody long day. I know that much. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, probably the thing that I, that always sticks in my mind is, is obviously the, the red flag period. And I remember, um, you know, Taz had unfortunately just been in the wall prior to that and it was really probably him Morris and Scotty Pye who sort of all ended up in, in the turn 2 tyre barrier because the track was obviously breaking up as we all know uh, and then that kicked off the well, you know, was the reason for the red flag and I remember at the time uh, pulling up on the grid with the last car on the lead lap just the way that it had all worked out getting back out on the circuit before the red flag had, had fallen. And I think at the time, my engineer, Nathan, he said that the red flag, they had advised over the race management um, channel that it was likely to be 15 to 20 minutes long, the delay. 
that delay ended up being, I think, close to an hour. And I just remember my guys working absolutely flat out that whole period of time that they were allowed to work on the car, fixing it, getting it back into the state that it ended the race. And, you know, the, I, I don't know where they got all the race tape from to put on the front of it, but I reckon we must have had to pinch some from some other teams because uh, <laughs> it was absolutely covered in it. And um, I just sort of think, you know, there was no way that we were going to be able to get going if, if that red flag was that sort of initial 15 or 20-minute period. But just the never-give-up sort of attitude that the guys on, on my car had that day. Um, and then, you know, we sort of, the way the race unfolded, to stand up second, that, that sort of proved that, that attitude of just, Anything could happen. Don't, don't give up. You know, you, you think you might be done for the day or whatever, but uh, yeah, certainly something that I'll hold with me for the rest of my life, that's for sure. Well, if I've got to tell you, my indelible memory from that day was the Nissan catering tent for breakfast would have been about a quarter to six in the morning. You know, it's pretty quiet, sombre affair in there at that hour with bees whipping up the eggs and whatnot. And Taz came bursting through the doors. It's Bathurst Sunday, baby. <laughs> and he went up finishing second in that race. <laughs> and I'll uh, never forget that. That was pretty cool. Um, my question, though, is... Uh, got, um, yeah? Go on. No, well, my question is, from afar, it looks like your second stint here at GRM, it's a, a much happier time. Like, it, it was a tough time there to finish in the V8s the way it did, but uh, it seems second time round, you guys are, are really starting to click. Yeah, look, it's, uh, it's probably a fair observation, really. It wasn't, wasn't a great time uh, when I finished up my, my full-time driving career there. And, yeah, there was a few reasons for that, but um, I've certainly uh, definitely enjoyed going back there and teaming up with them and, and I guess also part of the, the, the appeal or the, the challenge of developing the Renault TCR car because relative to a lot of the other manufacturers in TCR, it's still, well, particularly in 2019, it was quite underdeveloped and we've made some really good progress with that. So that's been enjoyable, but um, yeah, I think it's, you know, I still, I, I go racing in TCR because I, you know, I want to do as well as I can and, and still got that competitive um, uh, urge, if you like. But um, I've, I've really been able to, I guess, enjoy my racing um, a lot more than, you know, when I wound up finishing full time in the supercars career. And, you know, I was probably, you know, a little bit of that. I was you know, mentally pretty, pretty fatigued by it all. Um, when I sort of finished up in 2017 and, um, yeah, getting back to just, I guess, going racing and, and enjoying it, not trying to let the, the result dictate um, or the outcome of the result dictate um, how I feel, you know. Probably come to accept uh, a little bit better that you know, some days you are better than others at, at the racetrack, but you know, it's an old cliche, any day the racetrack still is a good day, you know, it doesn't matter uh, what the outcome is. Now, that's so true, mate. So, true. I'm going to take you out of the driver's seat for a second, put you into the grandstand as a fan of the sport. The delay of Gen 3 to 2023 would seem to be the right decision. Would you consider that to be correct as an observer? Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I think that is definitely the right decision. I, I uh, you know, sort of raised my eyebrows when I read the press releases about the introduction of the car being sort of phased in halfway through the championship in 2022. And I just thought, geez, that's a, that's a big workload on the teams um, to, you know, sort of start the year with one specification of car and then be expected to, to go to a completely different generation of car halfway through the year. So, and I think, you know, also... Uh, would be a little bit confusing for for the fans out there. So I think, you know, delaying it um, 
until 2023. Uh, definitely on paper seems like a smart move and um, one that really, I guess, there was probably not too many other options because of the way this year has, has rolled out. I think if, if they had been able to get the championship away under normal circumstances, then perhaps um, the introduction of Gen 3 could have been a, a bit sooner, but I think you'd, just, you'd rather rather be a bit more patient with it and roll it out as a you know product that's ready to deliver straight away rather than having to iron out some bugs on the way on the run. So, yeah, I, I don't see it as a negative, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, good answer. Hey, uh, last one from me, Moff, and thanks for jumping on. We really, really appreciate it. Um, a, a mutual friend and colleague of ours, uh, short bloke wears glasses, restores old Holden supercars, uh, made sure, wanted to make sure that I asked you about driving the S5000 at Winton because I hear you had a little sample of uh, the beast um, a couple of weeks ago in a, a GRM test day. How did you find that? Because you never went down the open wheel path. I think you were third in Formula Ford in 07, but you, you stuck to touring cars from that. So, you know, was this a, a glimpse at a, another path your career could have taken? Oh, I don't know about that. But, um, yeah, I suppose you know, getting back in the GRM fold and, and seeing the the process that they went through of, you know, the, those cars coming together and you know, just the, the amount of workload and the engineering that's gone into those cars, um, all the detail, and then to see the, the product finally hit the track at the end of 2019. So sort of have always thought if the opportunity came along, it would be nice to, to have a drive and see what the cars are about. i tell you what, there's two things that... that you, Strike to me the most was when you're on the outside listening to the roar of those cars and how fantastic they sound and how loud they are and you know how, how great it is. Well, when you drive the bloody things, mate, you can't hear any of the noise because it's all behind you. <laughs> so that was a bit that was a bit strange. I expected you know to feel or hear the, the big roar of of the engine and. Um, you know, that 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 wasn't as um, as prominent as it is on the outside. And the other thing that over the last few years, that, you know, it's, I guess, been a topic of conversation in open wheelers is the halo. And if you had told me the halo was not on the car, I would have probably agreed with you. You know, like really? yeah. when you're actually driving the car, you, you, apart from it being a bit of a pain in the ass to get in and out of because of it. Um, actually driving the car, I did not notice it one bit. Um, but yeah, it was great to, to do a few laps. And um, also, you know, moving forward will probably help me a little bit um, because I've been, you know, working uh, with Nathan Hearn um, in a bit of a, you know, sort of, I guess, uh, mentoring role, you know, running the, the, the radio to him. So, um, I can now sort of relate a little bit of what he's been or what he says to me uh, because I've been able to sample the car uh, itself. But I don't think I'll be um, making any one-off appearances crazy, so just, you know, don't get too excited. Oh, come on. But, um, <laughs> I think I think when Perko... So Perko did drive one, and he I don't know if he got the full throttle, but I'm confident <laughs> I've got the full throttle on it. <laughs> I'll text him and find out. We'll see. <laughs> Last one from me, Moff. Uh, how good's the Hume Highway? And is it the best highway you've ever been on? What a thing. Well, the Hume Highway is that good, Walker, that I actually mix it up and I, I go the back road. Oh, so, Bonnie Doon. Um, Bonnie Doon. Yeah, Bonnie Doon. I've actually just just come over the Bonnie Doon Bridge Bonnie Water in uh, Lake Eildon. So, how's, the tra- um, how's the tranquility, mate? Oh, it's just magnificent. Uh, not tranquility, isn't it? Serenity. 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 Sorry. Serenity. That's it. Uh, classic. Hey, James, thanks so much for joining us, mate. Really do appreciate it. Uh, look forward to seeing you up uh, driving around in Sydney Motorsport Park in a few weeks' time 
in a TCR, and then, of course, a couple of weeks after that at Bathurst. We'll, um, we'll definitely be there. And, yeah, pleasure to come on the show anytime, fellas. Good on you, mate. James Moffat joining us here on The Grid. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, boys, there uh, was James Moffat joining us on his drive back from winter. We took up half an hour of his time. That was good for him. I think it was very good of us to entertain him like that, Shebex. I'm really glad that link worked for you that time as well. <laughs> um, no, nah, look, what a, a great news for Moff. Um, he's a, a friend of us all and a terrific racing car driver and goes into Bathurst in one of the best cars. And we saw what Cam did with that thing with Will Davison last year. Yep. You'd have to think that Moff will be just as good as Wilbur in that seat. So, you know, Cam's one of the fastest guys. Tickford are always quick at Mount Panorama, and they are legitimately in the top two or three favourite cars for mine for the great race this year. So good combo. And how incredible would it be to see a Moffat on the top step of the podium at that joint again? It would it would just be incredible. I mean, obviously, Tickford have done the sums and they got their premium car and they had the choice of the co-drivers. And, you know, Randall is quick and he's good and he's mm. going to be a, a main game driver next year, but they've chosen Moff to be the, in there with Waters. And don't forget, Moff too, he drove uh, LeBrock's car home last year after yeah. Jack gassed himself in the race. So uh, uh, he, he's still an A-grade prospect up there and he lifts at Bathurst. He's good around there. So uh, that'll be a combination to watch. Certainly will be. Do you, is, uh, just a couple of other quick things before we wrap it up, guys. Matt Stone Racing's been through a, a bit of a change in the last couple of weeks, hasn't it? Yeah, all off the back of us going, gee, how good are those young kids going and aren't they the future for that team? And um, what an outstanding performance by um, young Jake Kostecki and Zane Goddard. <laughs> They're both out the door. Bang. Gone. Um, Kostecki, we knew, suspected off to Tickford and that has since come true. But the, uh, the Goddard news was as a bit of a surprise because it doesn't feel like there's a, a home for him no. at this point, right? BJR is probably the only spot where he could land. So um, that was a, that was a real surprise. The, the only other thought I did have about that was maybe he's been offered a really good co-drive somewhere for Bathurst next year. And maybe you take that, but I don't know why you do that when you're at the prime of your full-time driving life and starting to make headroads. Anyway, big surprise. So all of a sudden it's, it has just energised the driver market a little bit, hasn't it? And it makes you wonder if a, a Bryce Fullwood perhaps would be a good fit for that team because um, A, he's got some backing and B, he's uh, a handy race car driver who might be a good fit for that race team uh, as opposed to being Chaz Mostert's teammate mm. if he leaves WAU, which yet to be confirmed. Or, or Todd Hazelwood, if he winds up there, Correct. if there's uh, not enough seats left at the end of the musical chairs there at Brad Jones Racing. The other one that happened last week, we mentioned it in the chat with Moff, is the Gen 3 delay, which of course happened on Wednesday morning yeah. after we record on Tuesday night. So obviously there's going to be some sort of massive breaking news tomorrow yeah. morning <laughs> oh, after this one, no quite, doubt. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, we've talked about this and... It, it just it, made sense. It makes sense, but everyone banging on that it was the end of the world, you know, we did an article up on the race talk recently where we examined where it's the top two tiers of NASCAR and IndyCar have had mid-season chassis swaps and no one ever remembers them because mm. it's not a big deal. But at least now they've got their clear cut. We'll be uh, racing around with the Commodores for one more year. So uh, that'll be a thing. Um, be interesting to see how it pays, plays out. And you've got these young guys seemingly be making their way onto the grid with Brock Feeney and Matt Payne uh, and they'll be in all the old equipment that the whole field has been used to racing for so long now. So they should be fairly well sorted. The team should be fairly well on top of them. So be interested to see how all that pans out next season. Jeez, and congratulations too to uh, the guys at Tickford and Boost Racing. That new Mustang, the colours on that new Mustang look hot. Mm, it's good, isn't it? And the wildcard, the Stanaway Murphy wildcard's pretty good looking thing too with the big Kiwi yeah, down the side. Yeah, yeah look, Boost have never had a, a bad livery, I don't think. Uh, they've, they've always had a pretty decent paints game, outspoken, but uh, decent livery, which is which is great. But yeah, a bit going on. The Gen, Gen 3 thing makes sense. Difficult times to piece together a new program. I think they've said that they're going to try and roll those cars out at every round next year. So I don't mind that from a PR point of view. Be a really good in- opportunity to introduce the punters to the Camaro and the Mustang in their new shape throughout the season. So that'll be great. Uh, hopefully by the end of the year, they can let them loose at Bathurst and have a bit of a crack there as well. See how quick they go and 
and then roll them out nice and clean at the start of the 23 championship. Seems bonkers we're already talking about 23. We don't even know where we're racing in 22 oh, yet. <laughs> we know it's starting at Newcastle, but outside of that, they'll be Bathurst in there somewhere. Darwin, outside of that, we have no idea what the calendar looks like. Uh, another little bit of news there that I'm pretty happy with is Matt Campbell gets a gig mm. in the left field, uh, replacing Earl Bamber, which is sensational. I mean, Matty, yeah. uh, last campaign there was alongside Shane Van Gisbergen. So if you're rated by Triple Eight, that's a good thing. And uh, he'll be a handy little combination there with Andre Heimgartner. Yeah, he was very highly rated by Triple Eight as well. And and I would have thought if he wasn't off chasing the chasing the Porsche dream, he could have been a, mm-hmm. a, and been a, a contracted driver. That could have been that Rock Feeney seat, I'm sure he could have walked right into. So yep, really good combo. That that that's that's pretty tasty, actually. Mm. Uh, I I suppose it depends on what day of the week and what kind of Kelly Grove racing we get. Because if we get the good Kelly Grove racing that we got at tail and ben for example then absolutely a contender for a podium for sure that car but if we get the inconsistent kelly grove racing that could end up qualifying 23rd and 24th so i hope for their sake that they are uh, they're on it that weekend because that's a very very strong driving combination mm-hmm. i mean you, you talk about matt campbell is obviously a good thing around mount panorama you know rich you've been very close to all these good things he's done in his life in the 12 hour oh. but how many how many race miles has he done this year? He's done more than anyone in Australian motorsport. Yeah, exactly right. Bouncing back and forth between WEC and IMSA and everything else in between. Yeah, it, it, he's extremely well raced. So he will be as sharp as a tack. And the thing that, that's always impressed me about Matt was his ability to jump between cars very, very quickly. And he's had to do that jumping between GT3 cars and GTE cars, and they're very, very different to drive. Um so he'll jump into the supercar and by the end of the first co-driver practice, I'm sure he will be absolutely on the money. So it's a very, very good decision. Um, I like the Groves just delving into the Porsche family to get one of their own in when they couldn't get to, couldn't get a Bam, they get a Campbell. Why not? Why not? Hey, yeah, it was great to have Andrew Westicott on the program too earlier on talking about uh, next year's Grand Prix. And, and the one thing that really struck me as, uh, as being a, a nice little story was, the fact that uh, Formula One have done speed mapping of the new circuit and they're expecting that lap time to go anywhere between five or six seconds faster a lap than what it's been in the past, uh, obviously due to you know, the 80K speed limit and just the, the, a couple of less turns mm-hmm. as well and the possibility of a, a fourth DRS zone. Those cars will be flying around Albert Park. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting, Shebex. And it's funny, isn't it? It's not often you hear about speeding up a circuit to make the racing better. Often they're adding in a big stop or a hairpin yeah, or something down, yeah. like that. So I, I really like it. The other thing I, I was interested to, I read an article about it with Andrew, was about the new track surface that will go down. And the fact the surface that was down there had been down for 20 years. So it been ground beautifully billiard table smooth for 20 years of racing and road traffic. So a new surface will be much higher degradation. So the tire wear will go up an extra DRS zone will certainly help the cause bigger stop down into what was currently turn 13 will be turn 11. I think um, at the end of Lakeside drive down the back towards Fitzroy street there. So that's going to be a great overtaking opportunity. Positive, great. It's it's got to happen. We've talked about that before. It looks like it will happen. The border movements are all really positive for for things like that to happen by April next year. So, uh, mate, I will be there with bells on for that because it's exactly what Albert Park has needed for a long time from a motor racing point of view. Really looking yeah. forward to seeing how it plays out. Go and have a look on the racetalk.com. We've gone and done the early mm. hot lap as soon as they finished the construction there. It's interesting. They haven't really changed the profile of a few, few of the corners, but... It's like the old horse racing where they've got the cutaway rail on the inside. They've just widened it out. They've got a sharper apex in the corners. It's the same radius, essentially, mm. but they've just widened the track on the run in. So if you want to bomb it down the inside, you can. It'll be interesting, that big, long, fast, straight down the back that bypasses that chicane. It's a really straight shot until you get into the curve around the lake, but you've still got a really fast corner at the end of it. So... I yeah. don't know. It's going to be a DRS passing zone, but it's not really going to be an overtaking under brakes passing zone there. Then you get down to that turn 11, and they've really done a fair bit of camber work there on a few of the corners as well, which will hopefully add in a few different lines because, you know, you can hang around the outside. If someone's going to block, you can just jam it down the outside and, and get a run up on the banking. So 
hopefully, fingers crossed, it'll be good racing for Formula One and also the supercars as well, because it's uh, not always the best racetrack there for the supercars, but uh, with these changes, it'll make it interesting, interesting for sure. I can't wait to see the S5000s go around there. I hope they're back on the bill. I don't think that's been announced, but yeah, they were were supposed to be there this year, but uh, you'd like to believe that they'll be back. That'd be tremendous. Oh, look, it's good news, Shebex, and and the the positive news that's been flowing in the last week with regards to borders, and I know they're talking about Australian Open and things like that as well. So that's, that's super news, and the fact that people will be able to come in without quarantining as long as they're double vaxxed. And I think the latest report was like 98% of the F1 paddock are all completely jabbed. So that there's not going to be any drama with that whatsoever. makes a lot of sense. And yeah, not the opening race of the season, which is a little bit of a shame, but we'll get over that pretty quickly, but it'll be the third ever race for the next generation of Formula One cars. So that's going to be really exciting to see how they, how they go and how they race. But I don't see that as a bad thing with a new generation of cars no. because often you get to Elba Park and you have five finishes because everyone blows up at the first race. So mm. if they've got a bit of reliability built into them by that stage, it can only be a good thing. Yeah, exactly. All right, boys, we'll leave it there. Great work. Good having a chat to you again this week. We'll do it again next week. Good chat. Good guest. Morph's a ripper. We'll get him back on, I think, on the lead up to Bathurst. Um, I think so. No, good stuff. And uh, hey, boys, next yeah. week, do you know what happens next week? No. Bloody car racing on. Yeah, oh, nice. Go car racing. We will preview the first of the Sydney uh, Super Night events this time next week. Oh, the great thing for me is on Friday I can go camping in Ringwood. <laughs> yeah. Completely irrelevant oh, to oh, all of our audience, but let's thanks go, for let's go. Oh, no. Me and Chebex are going to be in Ringwood camping. This sounds like fun. <laughs> all right, folks. Thanks for joining us again. We'll catch you again next week right here on the grid.